The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Uh, ready to get into the Word this morning, and as we prepare to get into the Word, I want to give you a few things to look forward to. Uh, these are things that mainly stand out to me, but most of the time I think they're intriguing enough to kind of pique interest. And if you haven't figured out, you know, the formula that I like to use, it's kind of one in the beginning, one in the middle, and one in the end. Because if you're like me, no matter how interesting something is, it, it, it can lose uh, your interest real quick if, if it's just not keeping you engaged. So these are things that I want to throw out there to, to keep you engaged in order to keep our interest in this together because I really believe that when we get into the Word uh, that good things happen. Uh, the, the Scripture promises that the Word of God is the power of God to save for all who believe, and that's us. So here's a few things we're going to find. Uh, one, we're going to find, oh, excuse me, what we need to do and what that thing does. That's kind of a weird way to say it, but there's something we need to do, and it produces a result, and we're going to find out what that is. We'll open up with that, and that'll lay the foundation for us uh, moving through the rest of the message. Another thing that we're going to find is what's needed for a life without disturbance. It's a weird word, right, disturbance. In fact, if somebody uses the word disturb, I, I think, you know, I really don't use that word very much, right? Uh, but as I was thinking about it, because it's listed in the scripture, I mean, it's translated, and it's translated rightly, uh, I'm thinking, well, how does that word fit my vocabulary so that I can understand really what it means? Well, when I think of disturb, I, I, I think of do not disturb, right? You travel somewhere, and you go to a hotel, and you want to rest. You don't want to be bothered. You put a sign on the door that says, do not disturb, right? I want to live a rested life. I need it. I desperately need it. If you don't get rest, you're in trouble, right? So if I have a promise in the scripture to live a life without disturbance, if I can put a do not disturb sign on my life, I'll take that. And I think it's important to see what's needed to live a life without disturbance. And then another thing that we're going to find is what's needed to see it, and I wrote it in quotations, work out. Now, I am notorious for dealing with challenges with uh, that mentality. You know, I mean, it's not always healthy. In fact, uh, I'm married, my wife loves to have details, she wants to have a plan, she'll come and say, hey, this is what we're dealing with, and most of the time my response will be, it'll work out, right? Well, we do need to have plans, we do need to have a, a, a method put in place to see it work out, but we also need to have that mentality that believes and trusts that things are going to work out and work out in our benefit. And we're going to find out what's needed in order to see uh, that come to pass. So I want to get right in. We're going to get right in here at the, the first promise that we were going to find, uh, what we need to do and then what that thing actually does. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 23. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. Now, the reason for uh, this passage of Scripture and the reason for this message is because I think this is a necessity for a congregation. And as this congregation grows and as it thrives, as there's life and interaction and fellowship that takes place uh, among the congregation here, there are some things that I want to make sure we do on purpose. Uh, I think that you can stumble on success, and, and that's a wonderful thing. I also believe that you can intentionally do the things that the Scripture instructs, and you can produce that success 
and I would like to be successful on purpose. So as we grow together as a congregation, this passage of scripture reveals something that's going to be absolutely necessary. And we'll find out why as well. First uh, John chapter 3, verse 23. It reads like this. This is God's commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. I want to read it again, and I want to make a couple of comments on it. This is God's commandment. That's talking God the Father, that we believe in his son, Jesus, the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another just as he commanded us. So when I read this passage of scripture, I'm confronted with a couple of options. I can translate this and interpret it as, as two commandments, right? Or I can look at it, and I can see one commandment with an effect. And I believe that it's one commandment with a really wonderful and powerful effect connected to it. Because it doesn't say these are his commandments. It says this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ. And then I believe what's being stated after that is the result. What life looks like when we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ. This is his commandment that you believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded I mean, I believe that as the congregation grows and thrives and is united together and sees the, the things of the Spirit flow between and in interaction and, and reaching out into the community, love is at the very foundation of that. It's absolutely necessary. I mean, we're called to love one another. Based on this passage of Scripture, what I see is necessary for that love to exist is going to require believing in Jesus. Now, this also produces a, a bit of a, a confrontation in my mind because I have to understand what it would mean to believe in Jesus in order to get that resulting promise of, of love and fellowship and community. And there's a lot of challenges to believing in Jesus when you actually realize what it means. I mean, if you turn to the dictionary and you look up the word believe, here's what you're going to get. Uh, to accept something as true, genuine, or real, right? Basically, that means just acknowledging existence. But there's something much deeper in the scripture. In fact, anytime you see the word believe in your New Testament, I think it's a little bit of a weak translation. Now, this is just me giving you my opinion, but you have to realize that the scripture has been translated from one language to another. Some things can be lost in translation. The literal definition or the literal translation for the word that we translate believe means to put trust in. And that's a whole other thing, right? Acknowledging that Jesus exists is one thing. Actually trusting that he is who he says he is, he'll do what he says he'll do, that the, the gospel is true and it applies to my life, that's a whole other thing. History will tell you Jesus exists. It's undeniable. I remember being in middle school and, and having a class that we referred to then as social studies. It was really kind of a, a, a history light. And even in my secular, state-ordained textbook, the life of Jesus Christ was acknowledged because it's historically undeniable. The most documented life ever in existence on the face of the earth. That positions everyone to believe that he existed, but that doesn't mean everyone trusts him. And when I take on the mentality of trusting Jesus, all of a sudden now, it changes things. It would equip me then to have that result of community thriving and growing because if I trust Jesus and then the result is that I'm able to love the people that are around me, what that means is I'm trusting that Jesus is the one that has ordained these relationships. He's the one that called you and 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 you, and you to all be here right now at the same time. And I can trust that there's purpose behind that. 
that it's not a place where there needs to be a, a defensiveness or a wall going up, but rather it's a place where there needs to be an understanding that God's doing something, and I am supposed to have fellowship with you and you and you and you and you and you and you. I'm not going to point at everybody, but I don't want to leave anybody out. You get the point, right? There's a need in our lives to, to trust in Jesus so that we can result, have the result, excuse me, of loving one another and that result be enjoyed and celebrated by the entire body. And there's a reason why that trusting in Jesus results in this wonderful community. Because trusting in Jesus opens the door for the things that we actually need. Like, here's one of the benefits of trusting in Jesus, okay? Now remember, we're, we're putting the, the concept, the definition, the, the literal translation to put trust in in place of the word believes. So every time you see the word believes, we're going to make that substitution. We'll make that very clear. We'll, we won't let it get confusing. But here's a benefit of believing or a benefit of putting your trust in Jesus. One is life. Not just breath and a heartbeat, right? But we're talking about that abundant life that we're called to walk in, where the things that we're bringing into existence in our fellowship with one another are life-giving. They're not destructive, and, and, and they're not uh, resulting in, in the tearing down of one another, but rather they're affirming, and they're, they're the constructive things that bring about what the Bible calls edification. It means just making things better, not worse. That kind of life. Here's a passage of scripture that if you've ever watched a sporting event, you've probably seen this passage of scripture held up in the end zone, right? John 3, 16. I'm going to read 15 and 16, or at least part of 15 and 16. Whoever believes or whoever puts trust in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes or whoever would put their trust in him would not perish but have life eternal. What an interesting promise. I mean, like, this is something that we use in order to, to lead people into Christianity. I mean, it's printed on papers and tracts and handouts. And, and when you are acknowledging people that are in need of, of acknowledging Jesus Christ as their Savior, this is a passage of Scripture that's offered because everybody wants to live, right? Nobody wants to perish. So it sounds like a very enticing and intriguing thing. But this is not meant to be a one-time bait into Christianity. This is meant to be a foundational uh, part of my life as a believer. It can affect my prayer life. Every morning I can wake up and say, Father, I want your promise of eternal life active in everything I do. The words I speak, the things I put my hand to, I want to bring life into the relationships that are around me, into the business that I, I labor for, into the congregation that I'm a part of. I want to see life be the result of me being involved, and that's going to mean I'm going to have to trust in you today. So any hindrance to me trusting you, let it be revealed so it can be cast down. And lead me into a place where my heart and my mind come into agreement that you are who you say you are, that you do what you say you'll do, and that your promises to my life are for my life here and now today. Pretty good prayer, right? Yeah. And we need that. We need that in order to love one another. We need to bring the things that edify and the things that build up. We need to bring the things that are life-giving. Or else what you end up with is a group of people that sit around and argue and bicker and try to cope with their problems rather than experience anything life-giving. And you see that a lot in, in the world, and unfortunately you see it a lot in the church as well. 
Now, the solution here isn't just behave yourself, you heathens, right? The solution here is, hey, let's start trusting that Jesus is who he says he is. Because the problem is with our conflicts and our fighting and our strife and our our disappointments and our rejections, at some point there's some place of insecurity or some place of pride. And whether it's insecurity or whether it's pride, it's not Jesus. I want to trust in him. When he instructs, I want to follow his instruction. Here's another result of putting your, your trust in Jesus. And I think this is a really big one, especially uh, for the church. And I'm just going to give you this as the word, uh, stability, right? I think of the word stability, and I see it throughout the scripture. When you consider the kingdom of God, it's described as a kingdom that will never be shaken. That's kind of an interesting description, right? That means it's stable. It's not going to shift or move or fall, but it will remain. And when I consider stability, I see that as the the connection of two words, the ability to stay, stability. Stability is something that I want in my life. I mean, I don't want to be uh, depressed one day and joyful the next. I, I want to have a stability in my life that leads me into the things of the kingdom of God, the righteousness, the peace, the joy in the Holy Spirit, and I don't want to depart from that. I want to stay there. And when you consider the, the need for this in order for us to actually have fellowship with one another, remember our foundational verse here was this is God's commandment, that we believe in Jesus, and then the result be that we're able to love one another, that we're able to have fellowship. You can see that stability is something that is absent in a lot of churches today. I've pastored for 20 years, and I can tell you I've seen a lot of people leave and not stay. Something happens, some offense, some frustration, some disappointment, some uh, point of resentment or rejection or some mild point of disagreement. And I got news for you, we're not always going to agree. Everyone in this room is so different and so diverse in your life experience and and in your your, uh, expectations and in your upbringing and your history. We all have differing uh, views, opinions, and thoughts on so many matters. But that's not what unifies us. What unifies us is the one common element of the blood of Jesus that's what unifies us that we are bound together by one spirit so we celebrate those diversities we don't let them uh, produce divisions but rather we celebrate the stability that I can put my trust in Jesus that Jesus you're the one that unifies us not that we all come together and agree academically on something but that we know that your love and your affection for our life has made a way for us to be unified under one common atonement. And that's what makes us compatible, no matter what we think or feel, no matter what our political affiliation or our doctrinal view, that the blood of Jesus makes us compatible. We have to trust in him or believe in him in order to have that stability. Here's a couple of passages of scripture, because... Up to this point, I've given you my thought or my opinion. Now we need to actually apply some scripture so that we can stand on it, right? Here's a a passage of scripture. It says, as the scripture says, so that means that this is a New Testament verse. It's from Romans, Romans 10, 11. But it's going to be quoting a verse from the Old Testament. So this passage of scripture is in the word a couple of times. But the scripture says, anyone who believes in him or anyone who puts their trust in him will not be moved. 
Depending on your translation, it may say something like not be disturbed or not be put to shame, not fall. But the scripture is saying to all that believe in him or put their trust in him, they won't be moved. And here's the passage that it's quoting from Isaiah. I told you before we were going to find something. We were going to find what's needed for a life without disturbance. Here's the passage of scripture that I'd offer to see that come to pass in our lives. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16. Isaiah 28, verse 16, it's God speaking prophetically, and he says, Therefore, this is what the Lord says. This is through the mouth of the prophet. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone to be the foundation that will firmly be placed. And the one that believes in this stone will not be disturbed. There's a couple of translations that I think are worth noting here. You know, I mean, You'll notice if you go to a Christian bookstore and you're looking for a Bible, there's, there's different translations. They're all saying the same thing uh, for the most part, but they'll translate words differently. Some are translated to be more readable, less complicated, uh, just a more even flow or maybe a common everyday vernacular, words we use day to day instead of words that we maybe don't use day to day. And then some are translated for accuracy so that, you know, you're getting a real accurate translation and and they, they all have their place. But here's a couple of, of other translations. He who believes or he who puts their trust in this foundation, and that's Jesus, by the way, will not be disturbed. That was the one that we just read. Here's another one. He who believes or he who puts their trust in Jesus will not be in a hurry. That's literally one of the translations. How interesting is that? You know, the worst decisions I've ever made in my life were made in a panic. They were made when I felt like I had no time to think, no time to put it on the scales, where it was just done because of a feeling or an emotion or or some illusion that it had to be decided right now. I think this passage of Scripture could set us free from that. I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to put my trust in him, and I'm not going to be in a hurry. I can take my time before I decide to do that. I can take my time before I decide to go there. I can take my time before I make this decision that might not be able to be unmade. I have Jesus in my life. I will put my trust in him, and I'm not going to be in a hurry. Here's another translation. This one's NIV. Somebody probably has an NIV in this room. It's a very popular translation. He who believes or he who puts their trust in Jesus, this foundation, will never be stricken with panic. What an interesting promise to make. I love the fact that they're so bold as to use an absolute like never. That's pretty bold, right? But what that's telling me is 100% of the time, if my trust is in Jesus, there's no room for panic to even come through the door. If I'm putting my trust in Jesus, there's no way for the panic that would lead me to compromise in my choice or my decision, my attitude, my action, there's no room for it. I want that to describe my life. I want my mind to be filled with thoughts of trusting in him. I want my heart to be founded upon who he is, what he's promised to do, and that he's faithful to bring all those things into existence. And I want it to shut the door to panic. And you know what? If you shut the door to panic, you shut the door to anxiety. You shut the door to fear. You shut the door to doubt. You shut the door to some real nasty fiends that would love to see your decisions and your choices compromised. 
And you could sit and preach messages that would, would be against things like doubt and against things like fear and against things like worry and against things like panic. But I think we all know who our enemies are. I don't think anyone here thinks that panic's a good thing or that fear is a good thing or anxiety is a good thing. But what we actually need to discuss is what it means to trust Jesus. It's more than just a, 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 a cadence. It's more than just a motto. It's more than a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. I believe in Jesus. So does the devil. But I want my life to be defined as one who trusts him, makes choices and decisions based on his counsel, not based on situation or circumstance or things that can be seen. I trust that he sees way beyond what I can see. And he's not influenced by temporary emotions or feelings of hurt. I want to trust him. And when we get, begin to, to function like that, obviously that not being disturbed opens up the door for us to have true fellowship with one another. Where all of a sudden the little offenses that once upon a time used to introduce disturbance and, and panic and, and bad choices and decision making and, and then ultimately separation, we get over those things because we realize how small, minuscule, and ridiculous they are and how awesome, great, and powerful putting our trust in the one common source of atonement, putting our trust in Jesus, unites us. We had a, our men's meeting on Saturday. It was a great meeting, and a couple of comments were made. I mean, uh, this congregation was, was, has never been this small before. It was, you know, you, there was a time when most of the seats were filled up, things like that. And I would ask myself, you know, why, why have some people left and why have some people come? I mean, what's, what's, you know, you pray about that. And I told the guys in there that I've pastored for 20 years and I've seen people leave churches before. And honestly, it always hurts. And I hope it always does. I think if you begin to get cynical toward that where it doesn't bother you anymore, then something's really wrong, Right. But then here's the point. This was what was said. I said, you know what's really strange to me is I'll run into people in the community, just out and about, maybe at a local store or supermarket or out on a job site somewhere, and you'll run into somebody that used to have fellowship here, but then through some reason where there was instability, their ability to stay was compromised, they left. And I told the guys it's really strange to me because there's something that they all seem to say. Now, I'm not going to say 100% of the time, but I, I think I could stand before you and say like 90%, like 9 out of 10. All say the same thing. Man, we sure miss champions. And, of course, I'm thinking, well, we're still there, you know. You, you didn't have to leave. You, you could have stayed. Uh, there's really nothing worth breaking fellowship over we can overcome any of that because of our commonality in Jesus. But somehow stability was compromised and therefore our ability to, to unite together and function in that love for one another that God's called us to has been paused. And I say paused on purpose because I have high hopes for some of those things to be restored. But our goal now is, is to trust in Jesus. Put all of our trust in Jesus. 
not make our choices and decisions based on our feelings or our thoughts or our emotions, but to put all of our, our uh, decision-making and all of our activities and actions and all of those things subject to God's counsel, Jesus being the wonderful counselor that God's put in our lives. And you see the result of that being uh, this, this wonderful fellowship that we're called to. Here's another benefit to putting our trust in Jesus. Uh, it's another thing that's necessary for us to function and be united together. I'll give you a passage of scripture here from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. I want to look at uh, verses 18 through 20. One of these wonderful uh, benefits of putting our trust in Jesus is the very power of God. The power of God, not just upon our lives as some kind of symbol that we're real Christians, but rather the power of God that's meant to flow through us. And as it flows through us, it's not just to, to be some display of Christianity, but rather it's there in order to meet the needs of those who are in desperate need around us. So that you can help meet my needs and I can help meet your needs all through the wonderful power of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you this passage of scripture, and I'm going to emphasize a point. It'll stand out pretty clearly. But it opens with this prayer. The Apostle Paul is writing, and you've got to understand, these letters that he has written that have been canonized that make up our scripture, these are written to Christians. He wrote to churches. It's real easy for us to see some of the things that he's read and think, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm a Christian now, Right? This wasn't his letter to evangelize a bunch of wicked, heathenistic people. These were his letters to help edify, build up, and equip people who had already called upon the name of Jesus, already come to know the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened up, that they would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance that are upon the holy saints and his incomparable excuse me, incomparably great power that is for us who believe. I'm going to come back to that. He goes on to describe that power. That power is the same mighty strength that was exerted and raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in heavenly places. That same resurrection power, the ultimate display of God's power to bring life from death to see resurrection, that which had no life in it, that which was completely and totally annihilated, not only just come back, but then be exalted. It is the ultimate display of the power of God. And what's being written here is that the power that we have access to when we put our trust in Jesus or we believe is the same power. Not a junior version, but the exact same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So that passage there that, that speaks of these wonderful things and this wonderful prayer is something that I want to bring into my life. God, I want my heart to be opened up to see clearly, to know the wonders and the greatness that I have access to when I put my trust in Jesus. I want that incomparably great power that is for us who believe. I don't want to simply acknowledge that Jesus exists, but rather I want to put my trust in him so that that power that he would walk in when he would perform miracles and signs and wonders that we would read about and celebrate would be an active part of my life as well. Here's a couple of passages of scripture for you, uh, for your notes. Uh, John chapter 6, I want to read verses 28 and 29. 
It's a, it's a passage that is uh, speaking uh, to Jesus. The disciples are talking to him, and they, they ask him this really great question. It's a question that, that I find myself asking. They said to Jesus, well, what do we do in order to see the works of God be done? What's it going to take to do the things that we see you doing? How can we, can we live our lives in such a way where our lives become ministry just like your life is ministry? What a great question to ask him. And don't you know it took courage to walk up to him and ask that, right? We all like to think we know what we're doing. Fake it till you make it, right? That's kind of the, the human motto. But somebody actually got the courage and said, hey, I see you and I see you touching people's lives in wonderful ways. I mean, everywhere you go, there's depressed people that are filled with joy now. There were people that were sick and they're healthy now. There, there were people that, that were oppressed and they're free now. I mean, everywhere I see you go, I see great things happening. It's like all the darkness, as soon as you walk in, it's just light, and light overcomes it and wins. I want my life to look like that too. Hey, Jesus, what is it that I need to do in order to have my life look like your life? What a great question. And here's what I love is that Jesus answers it. He's not like, well, you either got it or you don't, right? It's just a real gift. But he gives them a real answer, and this is what he says. And Jesus answered. Man, that's something I would underline and circle in my Bible. What a great promise to have, Jesus answered. And Jesus answered, and he said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. This is the work of God that you believe in Jesus. This is the work of God that you put your trust in Jesus. Man, I, I grew up in, in charismatic circles, and that was churches that believed in, in the power of God. And, and, and so, you know, we would, I would pray for things like, I, oh, God, I, I want to prophesy. I, I want to lay my hands on the sick. Oh, God, I want to do this, and I want to do that. Those are all great prayers to pray, by the way, wonderful prayers to pray. Don't ever stop praying those. But when I read this passage of Scripture, I think, oh, God, I want to put my trust in Jesus. And then the result will be, prophesying and laying my hands on the sick and the result will be all these wonderful things. I, I want to seek the giver, not the gift. And I trust that the gift will come. This is the work of God that you believe in Jesus, that you put your trust in him. These are passages of scripture that are really great for, you know, putting the, the pieces together and connecting the dots with the scripture but I'm telling you, these are really wonderful to take into your time of prayer. I, I want to ask that same question. What do I need to do in order to do the things that are pleasing to you? I can see your answer in the scripture that I need to put my trust in Jesus. Teach me how to do that. Let my mind be renewed to filter the thoughts through who Jesus is and all of his words and all of his promises so that I'm not led by the voice of this world, a voice of fear and anxiety and doubt, but I want to be led by the voice of truth, the voice of righteousness, the voice of peace and joy. I want to be led by the voice that is my King Jesus. Here's another passage of scripture, John 14, 12. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me or he who puts his trust in me the works that I do, he'll do also. And even greater works than these he'll do because I go to the Father, I meaning he's going to send the Holy Spirit. I used to read this passage of Scripture and just think like, wow, how do you do something greater than what Jesus did? And I don't believe that it means greater as in like uh, uh, more incredible. I believe it's greater as in more numerous. 
Because instead of one Messiah walking around destroying the works of the devil, now there are billions that are anointed with the Holy Spirit, walking in the authority of the kingdom of God. I mean, just us in this room carry enough anointing to turn this city completely upside down. Greater, greater in number. But truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me. I don't want to just spend my life acknowledging that Jesus exists. I want to learn to surrender my heart to trust in him. Here's another passage of scripture as we move forward, and we'll be shutting down the message here in a moment. Uh, John chapter 7, I want to look at verses 38 and 39. Specifically 38, if you're taking notes, John 7, 38. The one that believes in me, it's Jesus speaking, the one that puts their trust in me, just as the scripture said, this will be the result. From his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He's talking about, it goes on to express what he's talking about in verse 39. He's talking about the Holy Spirit being active in our lives. That, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't just for a select few that, that create ministries and build websites and receive donations, but rather every Christian, everyone that calls on the name of Jesus is meant to have the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through their life. And I love the description of the flowing of those rivers of living water. They're not being pumped. It's not a, a labor. It's not a laborious thing where we sit around trying and trying and trying and trying, but rather it is a natural thing. I recently had a, a wonderful opportunity to, to get away for just a little bit. It's been a very difficult year with a, a lot of labor in, in my life, and I had a chance to, to go and get some time uh, with my wife and my kids, and I'm very grateful for that opportunity. It was a wonderful time. And, and in that time, there's a place that we like to go to, and in this place, there's a, a river that cuts through a canyon. It's very beautiful, and a little bit of snow had fallen, and it was, it was just a, it was a beautiful image. But I find myself looking at that river flowing and just thinking about the rivers of living water that are meant to flow out of me. Watching that water flow in that river is the most natural thing. There's nothing pumping it, nothing pushing it. No one's working hard to push that water. It's taking that path. It's moving. And that's really how the Spirit of God is meant to be functioning and operating in my life. I think sometimes we've made ministry so complicated and so difficult, it's our own fault that we don't see more results, that if we can simply trust that Jesus is who he says he is and live our lives according to the things that he would say, ministry is a very natural thing. In our normal fellowship, I don't think you have to have special meetings and, and special venues. I think in our everyday life, we're meant to be touching people's lives in wonderful and powerful ways, all because the Spirit of God is naturally flowing out of us. And that's another one of those scriptures that I would encourage you to take into your prayer closet. I, I want that. I want that to describe my life. When people encounter me, I want them to be touched by something great, and I want it to be really natural. I don't want it to be weird. I want it to be really relational and natural and really effective. I've got to adjust here for time's sake. I want to cut a couple of things out, but I want to make sure we don't lose anything. So I mentioned before we were going to find uh, what's needed to see it work out, right, as we continue to 
uh, trust and believe that the situations and the circumstances that we face and that we deal with are going to work. Well, there's all kinds of passages of Scripture that are wonderful to stand on about God working all things for the good of those uh, who love him and are called according to his purposes and all of these wonderful promises that, that do assure us that things will work out. But I don't just want to know that it's going to work out. I want to see why it's going to work out, what I can intentionally do to position myself to see those things not be resisted. But I want to cooperate with God. I want to make the choices and the decisions that work in tandem with the things that he's doing in order to see to it that the results aren't hindered or delayed. I want to close with this passage of Scripture. and It's from the Proverbs. I mentioned before we're going to find what's needed to see it work out. I'll give you this passage of scripture from Proverbs chapter 3. It's verses 5 and 6. I remember we're talking about believing, but we're, we're looking at it from the biblical definition, meaning to put your trust in. So with that in mind, listen to this passage of scripture as we close. Put your trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. I'll give you the Preston translation of that, right? So this is, you know, from my own interpretation. Put your trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll see to it it works out. It'll work out. And this passage of scripture is very poetic, so it's easy to hear that and, and be moved you know, you just know there's something there that's attractive, and so you like it. And most of the time when we like something like that, it becomes somewhat popular. You know, maybe we print it on things or make posters with it or things like that. But I want you to consider the mechanics of this, like how it works or how it functions. First is that instruction. Put your trust in the Lord with all of your heart. How do you do that? Well, you don't lean on your own thoughts. Don't go off your emotions. Don't go off your hurts or your wounds or your resentments or any of your deficit, but we're going to trust in his abundance when we make this decision or when we perform this act or when we speak these words. And then it gives instruction kind of how to do that because I think that's easier said than done. I think to tell someone, hey, you need to put your trust in Jesus and, and don't lean on the things that you feel or think, man, that's really great advice, but if you don't tell someone how to do, to do that, the odds are they're not going to do very well at it. And I look at this next sentence here, and I think, well, that's how you do it. In all your ways, acknowledge him. We get so busy, we fail to acknowledge him. We, we think that, you know, we can only acknowledge him when it's catastrophic or when it's maybe even too late. But the truth is, we can acknowledge him all the time. He ripped that veil in two on purpose so that we could have access to him 24-7, 365. Every single moment of our lives, we have the, the availability to speak with a loving Heavenly Father that has every resource of heaven at his disposal to, to release into our life to see great things take place. And I, I think you take a passage of scripture like this, and it's real easy to desire that promise. I want to see things work out. I want to see my path straightened out. I do want to, to be a man that can put his trust in God and not do the things that I want to do, not respond out of vindictive anger, but rather lay those things down and speak the healing words that Jesus would instruct me to speak. I want to put my trust in him and not my trust in me. I want to see more of him and less of me. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. 
And so in order to do that, I need to acknowledge him in all my ways. Now, that's what I want to take into my prayer closet. God, will you teach me how to include you in my life? Teach me how to cut out distractions. Show me the things that I can do to, to interact with you more so that our interaction isn't ceremonial and religious tradition, but rather you are living and active in my life, speaking to me, me speaking to you, and I have your counsel leading me and guiding me so that I can be protected from doing the things that I would do on my own because I like the way you do it better than the way I do it much better result I want to ask you to stand with me I want to pray over us this morning uh, the prayer is going to be really simple but, but that doesn't mean that it's not powerful I mean I think the things that you can hear that we've spoken today are things that can be a great reminder. I mean, the, 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 those that are in the room, I'm sure, have been in positions where you've trusted God and seen great results. But I can tell you the world is constantly pushing against believers with things like doubt and fear and anxiety, all to compromise belief, to compromise our ability and willingness to trust in him. And that pressure, that outside pressure, can just begin to erode the things that were once strong, the things that were once uh, seemingly uh, bulletproof and, 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 and effective in every which way imaginable. All of a the sudden, they can begin to weaken and erode because of, of that constant outside pressure. It's one of the reasons why we need to stay refreshed and stay in the Word and keep these things kindled. I want to keep this message more fresh in my life than the message of anxiety that the world is throwing at me every day. And that's a discipline that we can agree to and say, yes, I want to be reminded of that. But I also believe that we can encourage one another, be there for each other, and help each other to believe and help each other to put trust in by sharing our testimony. Man, what a great thing to share an encouraging story where you realize, wow, you were set free from that. That means there's hope for me too. Or to come together and just encourage someone not to give up. Hey, I know it's been hard right now, but I can tell you, we're not going to stop trusting in Jesus through this whole thing. Because all of this stuff will pass away. And if we can put our trust in Jesus, we'll be left standing in the end. It's one of the reasons why when we can do this, the result is we do get to love one another because I think we actually have something worth giving to each other. I want to pray for us, and I want to ask God to do a work in our hearts and in our minds, that the words that we've heard today would, would not just be uh, you know, some academic lesson from the Scripture, but that there would be a transformation in how we perceive fellowship with one another and how we perceive believing in Jesus, not just acknowledging his existence, but desiring to acknowledge uh, his, his leadership and his headship and to put our trust in him. Not just in the times that are difficult and hard, but in our everyday lives. So there where you stand, I want to pray. You're welcome to be in an attitude of, of receiving or agreement, however you choose, but I want to believe that God's working in our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you for your word. We receive it as truth. And we celebrate the sanctifying work 
of your word released to our life. Let it do that, that set us apart, that we would appear different in this world as we put our trust in Jesus, that there would be the open door for us to love one another and a foundation laid in this congregation to be genuine and true in fellowship, that there would indeed be in this place life, that there would be stability, that there would be your power, not just that we would receive those things for ourselves, but that those things would flow through us, that they would touch uh, one another in wonderful and great and powerful ways, that we would continue to edify each other, build each other up, and see wonderful things take place according to your word, according to your promises. And let it be naturally supernatural. That this work of putting our trust in Jesus would become the most evangelistic thing the city's ever seen. It'd be so desirable from the outside that men and women would be drawn to, to the things of your kingdom as they see the result, that result of genuine love and affection and power and authority and stability that's all poured out in the congregation as we put our trust in Jesus. And open our hearts and our minds to come to understand new and greater ways to apply this word. That you would teach us how to trust our King and that you would lead us into a place of trust that would open up that door of fellowship that would truly build the body of Christ, expand your kingdom and see every work of the devil destroyed. We bless your name and we thank you for this wonderful promise and we surrender our lives to be molded and shaped in the right direction to see these things come to pass for your glory. We rejoice in you and give you thanks in Jesus' name. And all the saints declared, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at Champions.